Good morning, Lifehouse. It's <laughs> broad. I can't help but reflect over this week that it has been, um, especially as we celebrate Mandela Day. And so it's pretty fitting that we talk about God, but his love and also his plans. And so our preach is amply titled, Love, the Motivation of Our Lives. My preach begins with this slide. But the one in my notes is slightly different, and it goes like this. The devil had a plot, but God has a plan. The end. And I could totally sit down now. (laughs) God's plan begins with love. He does all things through love, in love, and with love. And we know this because it's how it started. But God so loved the world. I shared this with our life group a little while back, and I'm reminded of God's love for me in this definition of love by a six-year-old. Love is when you're missing some of your teeth, but you're not afraid to smile because you know your friends will still love you, even though some of you is missing. That's how God loves me. I think when Gary told us that he was planning this series and would like us to be a part of it, he looked straight at me. (laughs) And for those who know me well, and there are only a few, because I like to sit back Stay under the radar, but God made Gary look in my direction. I think when planning to say a very small part in the series, I got into work mode. And for those that don't know, I am a teacher by heart and a deputy head by title. This title has made me fit into roles and molds that I did not think possible. And one of those roles is editor. Editor of reports, letters, magazines, and anything in written type. And one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is that when talking or writing, whatever you say before or write before the but doesn't count. It may as well not be there. I say it again. Everything before the but does not count. I love this quote by Toby Mack, and it says, Life may not be fair, but God is always faithful. So let us play editor. Take out everything before the but. And you are left with, God is always faithful. So when looking back on on life's plans, we certainly can take out everything before the but and focus on God. So today, Justin and I are pulling together our version of but God in life's plans. The plans of my life, according to me, would have things a lot different. I would not plan to have had a hard upbringing, and I certainly would not plan to be a victim of alcohol abuse. I would not have planned to lose my dad when the journey had only begun. I certainly would not have chosen to ever lose my beloved mom, and especially not when I needed her the most. And I don't really think that I would have planned to be a deputy head while trying to be a mom, a wife, a friend, a sister, an aunt, all at the same time. And I bet none of us would have planned for COVID-19. But God reminds me daily that he does not just redeem us for himself, He redeems our stories for himself. So it's fitting that I recognize my story in God's perfect plan for me. And I guess it started just like the song by Elevation Worship, with my mom dragging me to church. It was not an easy upbringing, and it was not the happiest of families. But there it is, God. I know without a shadow of a doubt that my mom prayed for all for, for our family every day, for myself, my dad, and my brother to come to know God. 
she knew that we needed God in our lives to better understand this journey of life. The journey along the way was not an easy one. I will always be grateful for the hours of prayer that she invested in our family. The moment that God poured his grace on my dad was the moment I realized God's hand on it all. Dad gave his life to Jesus when he was so ill with cancer, when dad had nothing left but God. For the first time, dad became aware that God was enough. Dad and I had a beautiful restored relationship in the two years before he died, and it was never more evident that God is gracious and his love is available to everyone, even those who maybe did not deserve it. I don't know why God allowed cancer to take my mom when her family needed her the most. God had to know that living without her would be the hardest thing I'd have to do. She was my person, my best friend. Nothing can replace the loss, the grief, and the sadness. And the realization that when you need your mom, she's not there. And to rob my children of their nana. But God, he did answer our prayers. He did heal my mom. Not my way, but his way. And because of mom's faith, and because I recognize God in life's plans, I know he was there to comfort and remind me that this is his plan, not mine. And so it dawned on me that our guiding principle really should be that no matter the circumstances, God holds the ending. When we are gods, Satan never triumphs. While he may press and people may disappoint, and life as we know it can certainly unravel. None of these get the final say. There is always, always, always a but God. I dove into scripture a few weeks ago to find all the but God Bible verses, and I was blown away. It is all throughout the Old and the New Testament because it is how God works. 2 Chronicles 20 says, Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And Psalm 73 says, My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God has plans. From the very beginning, when he created this world, he had a plan for day and night, heavens and earth, land and sea, sun and moon, birds and fish, animals and us humans. He has always had a plan. And just four verses into his word, we see that he likes his plan. He calls it good. Indeed, near the end of creation, in Genesis 1, he calls his plan very good. His plan is good because of the purpose that it will serve. It is good because of the hope that it will give. It is good because of the lives that it will save. But really, it is simply good because of God who calls it so. Creation had only to be created for it to be called good. But still, God has plans. He has them for all of us. He knew the span of our lives before we were formed. 
in our mother's wombs. He knows the hairs on our head and the thoughts on our minds and the hours that we will live on this earth. He would not leave such attention to detail merely to chance. God has plans for us all, and they are good. Proverbs 16 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Wouldn't it be perfect if God would send down a blueprint for each of our lives? What if when we were born, we came with an instruction manual that he wrote out for us? A manual that would outline what we should do to follow his plan for our lives. Um, For those with children, that would be an amen. (laughs) For me, there have been periods that I found myself spending far too much time in the trough of the wave. And I found life to be confusing and stressful and difficult to understand what God wants for me over the noise of the world and the sounds of all the obligations pulling at me. And the truth is, God knows what he wants for me and you, and he is in control of our plans. He does have that blueprint for our lives drawn up. He is guiding us within our hearts. God sees us, he hears us, he leads us, and he does answer our prayers. Life can be hard, but through trials, the Lord makes us stronger, and I know this firsthand. During times of tribulation, our faith can grow and multiply. Getting through trials, I have a promise I can hold on to, and I'm not alone. There is a song titled, Wait on You, by Maverick City and Elevation Worship, and the words played as I prepared this preach, and that was the Holy Spirit talking. In the middle of the struggle, God, if you said it, you'll perform it. You may not be how I want it to be, but here is what I'll do. I'm going to wait on you. I've tasted your goodness, and I'll trust in your promise. I'm going to wait on you. I know that you've ordered every step. You are the author. There is no predicting what will be next, but you hold the future. And all the questions, they come second to the one I know is true. You've always been true. So I'm going to wait on you. Romans 5 shows us that suffering produces perseverance and character, which leads to hope. And this hope allows God to pour into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. While there is pressure from society to succeed and meet a certain standard that the world holds us to, through God and the calling he places on our lives, we can achieve what he wants for our lives. By removing everything before the but, we are left with. But God brings hope when we cannot see a way through. And this was my journey with my dad. But God means ashes are not the end of our story. And this was my journey with my mom. And but God says that God, not our circumstances, always gets the last word. And this is where I am now. While together with God, I navigate life. I cannot brag about my love for God because I fail him daily. But I can brag about his love for me because it never fails. And I leave you with this. Life is hard, but God provides. Life is unpredictable, but God guides. Life is unfair, but God cares. Life is always a challenge, but God sustains. When making life's plans, put God first, not what lies before the but. 
I urge us all to think over the words from the song I mentioned earlier. Let it be your prayer. Wait on God when navigating life's plans. In the middle of the struggle, God, if you said it, you will perform it. It may not be how I want you to, but here is what I'll do. I'm going to wait on you. I've tasted your goodness. I'll trust in your promise. I'm going to wait on you. I know that you've ordered every step. You are the author. There is no predicting what will be next. But you hold the future. And all the questions, they come second to the one I know is true. You've always been true. So I'm going to wait on you. And now we hear Justin's story of God's perfect plan and how God's love and patience becomes evident when we look back. So good. Thank you, Minnie. It's beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Justin Jeffrey Esquire. <laughs> wow. Uh, it was prophesied that uh, you would talk, babes, and I think uh, we can say amen and we can all go home, have some coffee. <laughs> well done, babes. Uh, truth be told, I think this series has been one of the, the greatest that our church has had, but Unfortunately, only a few of us get to stand up here and tell our but God story, but I can guarantee you everyone's got a but God story. You just might not know how to tell it yet. And I want to encourage all of you to just stop for a moment and think about your but God story. Um, unlike my beautiful wife, I don't follow slides that succinctly. I jump around, put a few pointers here and there. But uh, just to prepare you for the next 20 minutes or so, I'm going to give three stories or, or three parts of my preach, um, and then hopefully everything will get linked up together later. So um, my But God story, I've been reading this book by an uh, author by the name of Gary Keller, and it's called uh, The One Thing. I've got a dear friend named Glenn Grant who uh, teased me and said, Justin, do you keep reading self-help books? Um, Glenn, I do. I read lots of them. And uh, the greatest self-help book of all of them, though, is the Bible. Um, the most amazing stories, um, Jesus' lessons that were spoken 2,000 years ago still hold so much truth in today and how to manage our lives. But back to that book, um, the one thing, uh, Gary Keller basically writes about a few successful businesses, including his own, and what he finds, what he wants to find is what made business or what made people successful and what he found out was that when people focus so much more gets done and his mantra throughout the book was what's the one thing I can do today that will make everything else seem easier or unnecessary because no matter what we think ladies and gentlemen especially ladies it's actually clinically proven that we can't multitask you think you can multitask, but truth is, when you stop, when, you, when you're doing multiple things, you're not focused. So people then, I can hear them already online, they're saying, how can you walk and talk? Well, the truth is, you walk automatically, and you're thinking about what you're saying. And if you do it the other way around, you're not thinking about what you're saying, and you're probably going to speak nonsense. So we were on holiday with uh, Laura and Ant, and I was trying to bring this story of how I'm going to bring this book into my preach. I'm going to get to that a little bit later. I'm going to first go to two nuggets 
that I want you guys to pin and come back to it later, all right? It's called the domino effect. So let's first consider this moment on the 13th of November 2009. And listen carefully now. There were 4,491,863 dominoes. And they fell in amazing display. So it was the world record of the most number of dominoes. As much energy was released as one single man doing 545 push-ups. That equates to 94,000 kilojoules. Let's go to the start of that amazing feat. It was one domino this big. It released that much energy. So when one thing, the right thing, is set in motion, it can topple many things. And there's more. There was a lady in 1983, a scientist called uh, Lorna Whitehead, and she wrote in the American Journal of Physics, that dom dominoes could not only topple many things, but a domino could topple something double its size when falling against it. So let's picture that for you guys looking at that diagram. One domino this big, by the time it reaches the 57th domino, will be a domino as tall as from the earth to the moon. Take that into consideration. Pin that up, it's going to come back later in the preach. The domino effect. So we're going to go to my story. And uh, for those guys who've joined us on men's nights and in my life group, you've often heard about my story. Um, but I'm going to try and sum it up and bring it all home, all about God's love. So, as I said when we were praying earlier today, this, this preach is time, time, timeless, perfectly timed. On the 6th of August this year, 20 years ago, that happened to me. Um, I'm sorry about my kids. They're going to cry a lot when they talk in public. <laughs> um, so I was studying to be a biokineticist. I uh, was doing my internship in Harwick, and I fell in love with this beautiful young blonde girl. And the way we sustained our relationship is we would see each other every two weeks. One week I would come up here. Uh, we'd skip a week. Next week she would come down to Harwick. Skip a week, I'd come back here. I'd obviously come up for my birthday. Uh, I say obviously because everyone knows my birthday is 31st of July. <laughs> I came up for my birthday and I was heading back to Harwick on a winter's evening, the 6th of August, 2001. And I was going down the M3 towards Durban and I passed the Vol Plaza. I left home probably 5.36. I'm aiming to be in Harwick at about 10, 10 p.m. that night. And I went through the Vol Plaza and a couple of kilometers later, I saw this truck in, in the uh, oncoming traffic lane, and everything seemed normal. And I, was, uh, I wasn't uh, speeding or breaking the law. I was doing about 120, maybe 125 max. And uh, as I saw the truck or the horse, I didn't realize that the, ho the truck had jackknifed right across the toll road. And with about 60 to 30 meters, I suddenly slammed on brakes and uh, screeched underneath the trailer. It's true, everything slows down. Um, and I saw my whole life rush, through, uh, rush before me. But I managed to, there was a sense of calm that I had. And I think it's because I already knew Christ back then. But uh, I can't say the words that I used at that moment. But I gently said, oh dear God, everything's over. 
Um, I don't know how much time elapsed, but it was uh, not that much time because I started climbing out of that vehicle before the truck driver had exited his door. I got out of my car and I realized I better put my hazards on in case another car comes. Uh, I tr tried to proceed to climb back into that scrambled piece of metal and then I realized, um, no, it's not going to work. Um, on, in that picture, if it's on screen, you can see there's a hole just above the driver's, the driver's uh, seat. Uh, that got me in my neck over here and I've got eight stitches in my neck and a couple in my hand. So I climb out the car, I try to put hazards on, and the truck driver comes running to me, says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I say, okay, don't worry. He leads me across the road into the oncoming traffic side, and I sit down in the felt. At that moment, I grab my phone, and I'm not too sure what order I did, but I phoned uh, mommy, and I phoned my love, Minnie, and typical of a young 25-year-old, I only had like minimal battery life left on my cell phone. So I said, I've been in a car accident um, at this and this place. Please don't panic, I'm fine. And the battery proceeded to go flat. Um, I'm not too sure how much time elapsed because I think now the shock started setting in. I felt my neck, I felt that warm blood running down my shoulders and I wasn't too sure how, how big the cut was. I lay there and uh, a few moments passed and I heard the screeching of rubber on tar and the sound of metal on metal, and uh, that family wasn't as lucky as me. So, post these accidents, there's a, a syndrome which you get, which is called why me? So it's the opposite to why does bad things happen to me? You start asking, why didn't I die? And uh, it lasted probably from a week or two after the accident to probably a year afterwards. And uh, often, you know, I was wondering, why, why, did, why did God save me? And you, you, you don't have a holier-than-thou opinion of yourself. You just wonder why. And you have a lot of people saying, well, God must have big plans for you. God must do this. And you're like, well, am I ready for them? I'm going to fast forward a bit. Um, bearing in mind, at that stage, I was doing my final phase of being a biokineticist. At that stage of my life, my only focus was to work with sportsmen. And then currently, I was working with a tennis player, and I was hoping that I would travel the world, Wimbledon, being his uh, personal biokineticist. I came to England to live, and uh, I got really bored with my job there, and I started looking for another job. I was called a rehabilitation specialist while I was in uh, Southampton, England. So I started Googling other jobs, and a job came up that said rehabilitator, rehabilitation assistant. I sent my CV through, um, that they asked me to come over and, uh, and uh, have an interview. I sat down in the interview and they said, uh, Justin, we quite like your CV, but do you know what job you've actually applied for? And I said, well, you know, rehabilitation specialist is what I was. This is rehabilitation assistant. Surely there can't be much difference. And they said, no, actually, there's a very big difference. Uh, what you've applied for is to be a male nurse, assistant nurse. So my job was to be in a brain injury unit and basically uh, wipe people's bottoms, help them shower, and help them feed because they couldn't do it themselves. And they said, you're too qualified for this. Um, this is not the right job for you. But we like your CV. We're going to send it down to the um, rehab unit and let them have a look at it. I jumped on my bicycle, cycled home, 
And before I got home, uh, there were two missed calls from this company, and they said, listen, could you come on Friday? The rehab team wants to meet you. I went down for my interview that Friday. I sat down um, opposite a man by the name of Ted LeBron, who was a neurophysiotherapist. And Ted uh, sat down, he started going through your and he said, um, just, I see you say you're a Christian. And I said, uh, yes, I am. And uh, he said, so am I. And I said, and bear in mind, I'm a 25-year-old, and this is a 40-year-old. And I, I looked at him and I said, Ted, are you a real Christian or a tick-box Christian? And he smiled at me and said, what, what makes you say that? So I said, well, Minnie and I have been in England for two years now, and we, we go to church, but we're the youngest people by about 40 years. It seems like a waiting room. Everyone else there is just so old, and we haven't found a church with people our age. And he just started laughing. And he said, no, no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a proper Christian. And we, we got conversing. Long story short, I got that job before I left that day. So within 72 hours, I was now in a totally different line of work. Within 72 hours, I'd gone, within a year, I'd gone from a place of being totally focused on sports and rehab and sportsmen to a place, a rehab place where people were there who weren't as lucky as me after a serious And I had an empathy that I never had before because I realized it could have been me. I then got to work with Ted LeBrock, who's a, he's not a renowned physiotherapist, but Ted was Princess Diana's therapist. I got to work under the guidance and mentorship of a top neurophysiotherapist who then I knew about. molded it with what he knew about neuro. And I can be so bold as to say I started pioneering biokinetics, neurobiokinetics for South Africa. At that moment, I knew what I wanted to do when I came back home. You see, it says in Romans, I'm going to butcher this if I don't look. Uh, give me a mo. It says in Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. I don't think that accident was meant to be for me. But God took that moment because of his love for us. And today, as I said, this is a very profound moment that we're here because 19 and a half years later, even when I practiced, I cried. But, it, but it's pure joy. It's absolute pure joy. Nineteen and a half years later, myself and my practice get recognized by the South African Medical Association for what we've done with neuro rehab. Because of God. These are tears of joy. So, Laura and Ant, well specifically Laura, because she asked how am I going to make that book count. So I was driving along three weeks ago, and oh, the Holy Spirit was so alive in my car. It was unbelievable. And I was going, the one thing, the one thing, focus. What, 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 what does God want us to focus on? For God so loved the world. He gave his only son. Man. 
One thing, God's love, our focus. Picture this, the disciples sitting next to Jesus just after he taught them the Beatitudes. And they say, that's great, that's great, Jesus. I mean, that's amazing. But, but you know, everyone wants to know one thing. So what, if we have to bring this all down, what's the most important commandment? Jesus, tell us, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus says, well, guys, love God with all your heart. Love God with all your heart. And the guys go, wow, that, that's cool. But, but understand, we know God. We're fearful of God. We love God. I mean, that, that's pretty obvious you're going to tell us to love God. What's the next most important thing? And Jesus says to him, love your neighbor like you love yourself. Love. What's the one thing that if we focus on today will make everything else seem simpler or unnecessary? To love God, to love each other the way God loves us. So, I uh, spoke to our life group, and I asked them a few ideas on what love is, and it was Sam who immediately went to 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm going to read this to you guys, and as I read, I'm going to preach as well, but the first three verses, if I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love. My words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith and could move mountains, but never learned to love, then I am nothing. And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I owned, to feed the poor, to offer my body to be burned as a martyr without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. So what is this love that they're talking about? You see, I think in us Europeans, people who speak English, even Afrikaans, I don't think this lifter doesn't have it. I love pizza. I love South Africa. I love watching the lions get beat. I love Lifehouse Church. I love my wife. I love God. Very different meanings. Very, very different meanings. So when Paul was addressing the, uh, the church of Corinth, he probably would have been speaking Greek, in which case he would have been using the word agape. Agape is the highest form of love. It's unconditional. The only way I can explain it to some of you guys is for those people who may have had children. I remember the moment... Jenna was born. I would have done anything for her. I didn't know her. She didn't earn it. She rocked up, and I would have done absolutely anything for her. That's the love they're talking about here. It's unconditional. It's not a love where you get something back from it. It's absolutely unconditional. Of course, it could have been spoken in Aramaic, which I love this word, huba, would have been love. Huba, huba. It's a burning love, a fiery love to set on fire. This is the love that God is referring to. Um, the, it, this is now 1 Corinthians 13, but it's not 1 to 3, it's 4 to 7. Love is large and incredibly patient. You see, when I was prepping this, I listened to a preach by Tim Mackey, and he used the analogy of the black hole 
and a cell. And a black hole is something where you just throw things in and they just keep going away. So very often as humans, we like a black hole. We don't, if we don't receive something out of what we give, we don't feel complete. So we just want to keep filling this hole, filling this hole. But the agape love is more like a cell. So a, a molecular cell has the propensity to multiply. So one becomes two, becomes three, becomes four, and that's how we were born. That's how we were made, from one cell, two cells, then us. See, love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. That means it's us giving of ourselves. It's us being patient with one another. When you're patient with someone, we talk of time, having time for another person. This love that we're talking about is not expecting anything back from that. It's do we have time to listen to someone tell the story for the hundredth time just because they want the presence of you next to them? Do we have the kindness to stop for a moment and actually recognize someone on the side of the road? That's the love that Jesus had for us. And unless we realize the love that Jesus had for us, we can't give it out to the world. You see, our love tanks have to be full before we can overflow with God's love. But all we have to do is know how much God loves us. and We don't have to do anything else. Just realize that love. And then once we've got that love, it pours out to us and we reflect it to the world. See, what love isn't is it refuses to be jealous when blessings come to someone else. That's Jesus speaking to me right now. <laughs> I'm a very jealous, competitive person. And when I see other people getting all the accolades, I start thinking, why them, why them, why not me? But we need a joy when we see that. When we see our, our community rising, we need to celebrate in that love. Help them rise above. Feel real joy. And it's, this love we're speaking about is not a manufactured love. You can't go home today and practice this love. It's in you. Once the Holy Spirit is in you, it starts to come out of our pores and people see it. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not about us or me. Love is about the people around us. It's not about feeling great or puffed up about what you've achieved, but rather about expressing that over to other people so they too can feel puffed up and, and, and the next person can realize the love of Christ and the next person and the next person and the next person. This love that we're talking about is about giving, about giving the message of Christ on, about giving time of day on, about helping push food to the people that are hungry, about the Ubuntu that our country is going through right now, about bringing bringing each other together, not because of what I can gain, but what we can gain. And that's what's so amazing about the gospel, because we're instructed to take the gospel out, but so many people think it's so that we can make fish of them, and no, it's so we can give you the joy that we've got. It's about pushing that on. That's the love that God's talking about. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best of for others. Love, love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. South Africa, we did that this week. We're not going to give up. 
Love is a safe place of shelter. It's not a time to point fingers at who did wrong, who looted where. It's a time to love on each other. Love never stops believing in the best for others and of others. Love, and, love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy, which eventually fades away. It's more enduring than tongues, which will one day fall silent. Love remains long after the words of knowledge are forgotten. Our present knowledge and our prophecies are but partial. But when love's perfection arrives, the partial will fade away. When I was a child, I spoke about childish matters, for I saw things like a child and reasoned like a child. But the day came when I matured and set aside my childish ways. For now we see but a faint reflection of riddles and mysteries as though reflected in a mirror, but one day we will see face to face. My understanding is incomplete now. I was telling Karen yesterday while we were cycling, uh, we all meet very clever people, and I've got one very clever earthly person. He's an engineer and he thinks he knows the answers to everything. And uh, the problem is that my arguments fail against his. He always makes me look silly. But that's where this comes in. My understanding is incomplete now, but one day I'll understand everything. Our faith in God might sound simple to the world out there, but it's our faith in God that will help our faith, our love spread. Because if we have faith in humanity right now, I think we've got no more faith. But faith in God is different to that. Until then, there are three things that remain. Faith, hope, and love. Yet love surpasses them all. So above all else, let love be the beautiful prize for which you run. I've gone through these already, so I'm not going to do it again. I'm not, can you guys come up? What I'm going to talk about is our mantra every morning we wake up. You see, this, God, this But God series has been amazing. I love Bronwyn's one, what is our mission and purpose, and that's to war for God. I agree with that. I agree with Sherry and my faith. I agree with that. I agree with leaders eating last. I agree with everything. But all of those But God moments are made so much easier when we realize the love of God, when we realize what Jesus did on that cross for us. When we realize that God, many was talking about the plans in our lives. When God created the earth, he realized that, oh, if these guys leave it up to themselves, they're never going to be good enough. So I am going to send my, my son, because I love you so much, because I love you so much, I'm going to send my son to die for your sins. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. You see, we do have plans. We do have plans, but they are fraught because we are, we're not perfect. But Jesus' death on the cross made us perfect in Him. So we can take that love that God gave us, fill our tanks, and have a domino effect. 
If we do that one thing every morning when we wake up and realize, what's the thing I need to focus in my spiritual life today to make everything else seem much easier or totally irrelevant. That command we're given is to love. That's what we need now. And it's been shown already. If we love each other as God loved us, the impact is beyond our wildest dreams. A tiny domino like this, four million of them, releasing enough energy as one person doing 545 push-ups is immense. That's one little domino. Imagine expressing love, God-given love, to the person next to you today. What an impact that's going to have. So as I come to a close, I would just like to encourage all of you listening online. If you have never felt love, like the love I'm talking about, if you've never felt Jesus' love for you, I'm going to say a prayer for you. Because to love on others, we need to know how much we loved. You can say as much as you want. It's humanly impossible to love someone else if you've got no love. And you can only have love if you've been given love. So I want you to close your eyes and just receive the love of Christ. Because it's true. Jesus died on that cross for you. He loved you so much that He offered His whole life up so you could spend the rest of your life knowing you don't have to do much more but you're going to be in heaven with our Father. It was done for you. And once you receive that, you then can take that love onto the person sitting next to you or the person you meet at work tomorrow. You see, things happen. People die of cancer. People have car accidents. The country goes into a state of chaos. God didn't plan those things to happen, but out of that, love will come. God's work will be revealed. It might be beyond our understanding, but this is not something new to God. I read the verse. This was written 2,000 years ago. He already knew we wouldn't understand what's going on. But he asked us to have faith and hope in his commandments. And all we have to do is love. And if we love God, we'll have faith in him. If we love God, we'll have hope in Him. If we love each other, we'll have faith in each other. If we love each other, we'll have hope in each other. So Father, I pray that we'll open our hearts and accept Your love today, Father. That we'll realize the enormity of You dying on that cross for us. That we'll realize that life-changing moment when Jesus said, It is done. Father, I thank you, Lord. And I just pray that you'll touch those hearts, Lord, and you just heal those hearts, Lord, and you just fill everyone up with your love, Father, love that is beyond any understanding, Father, and unconditional, 
on fire, burning, huba, agape love, Father. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So good, Justin. Thanks, buddy. Wow. Justin's asked to seal this moment with another song, Top and Tail It, The Preach. The song is called By Our Love. And some of the words are as follows. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And I pray that our unity may one day be restored. And they know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Father, you came, the greatest love of all. We receive your love and we pass it on to the world in ways in the natural that we can only. We glorify your name, Lord. We lift up your, your holy name. As we bookend this amazing preach today, Lord God, help us by your love. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And I pray that our unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they know we are Christians by our love. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. And together we'll spread the news that God is in our land. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they know we are Christians by our love.
what a morning. What a preach. Akpakatran already, just thinking about it. Guys, well done. So super, super awesome. Well done. And uh, yeah, beautiful hearts. I mean, aren't these two people just so amazing? Deacons in our community, people with hearts of gold, man. I was just thinking, you know, that we're talking about the definition of love. And when these two individuals and family, community members, people that we love, speak, they ooze love of God. It's amazing. I, I, some nuggets that I take away, took away from this was just, um, no matter the circumstance, God holds the ending. Isn't that just so profound and such a nice Nice way to end. Focus on God and wait. Isn't that challenging for the, most of us sometimes? Focus on God and then wait. <laughs> and like I always like to tell our life groups people, is God's answers are going to be yes, no, or not yet. And they're all very valid because he holds our destinies in the, in the palm of his hands. <laughs> and I just loved Justin's on my side. He's, uh, I've got a, a greater love for you, buddy. Ladies, you cannot multitask. Just saying, it was preached. It's got to be true, right? <laughs> so, guys, wow. Let's come up quickly. We have a couple of questions for those. But well done. That was beautiful. There, there was an anointing. And certainly in the worship as well, and when you guys are speaking, man, profound. Thank you. Thank you for blessing us today. So as we mentioned up front, there's a couple of uh, questions that we've received online and they're aimed at you too. So here we go with the first one. The first question says, if God loves us, why does he allow evil and suffering to exist? Who's going to take that one? <laughs> you. <laughs> wow. No pressure, just. <laughs> we live in a fallen world. It was never designed to be a fallen world. But man fell short of the glory of God. We were also then given choice throughout life. So if choices were taken away, we would be robots. The absence of light is darkness. No such thing as darkness exists. So where I'm trying to go with this is if only good things ever happened, and that's the way God created us, would we actually ever need God? Because we wouldn't know if he was there or not. Yeah. I don't think God allows for evil to happen. I think it happened when we fell short of the uh, grace of God. We're, we're in the fallen world when, when Satan came and, and Eve ate of the apple. I think we're always battling to try and fix things up. Those are one of the questions that I think we can sit, uh, and I'm not trying to pull the political stunt and, and not give an answer, but <laughs> it's really, I, I don't even know if the brightest of the, theologians in the whole world could answer that question. But the way I deal with it, because I, I know many story oozes that, and uh, Brad, if you're still listening right now, I know you've got that question. You've asked that question many times about why did your mom have to pass away? Why the evil of cancer? And we, we don't have the answer. I'm sorry, I can't just blurt it out. But because of that fallen world, Christ died for us on the cross and gave us hope. And out of that, as that Romans 8, uh, verse 28 verse says, out of this fallen world, God still tries to work everything out 
for the best for those who love him. Um, I don't think I've answered it well, but honestly, I don't think we can answer that question. Yeah, very good. Well done. Nice. Next question. Let's see. I try to love people, but fall short so often. How do I love like Jesus? Tag, you're it, Minnie. <laughs> How do we love like Jesus when we fall, fall um, short so often? I don't, I don't do this unprepared stuff, but I'll do the best that I can. <laughs> um, I, the, short, the, yeah, yeah. the short answer is you don't love like Jesus. Jesus loves like Jesus. We can't love like Jesus. But if I look back on, on, on my life, there were times where I didn't love my dad, um, but, but Jesus did. And so where I fell short of loving him, Jesus filled that gap, and, and he kind of stood proxy for me in that love. And it took a long time, but he did show me his grace, and he did show me that he loves people, even those who don't deserve it, like I said earlier. And, and that, that was a huge moment for me. So I don't try and love everybody. It's impossible. God does that for us. And, and slowly, slowly he chips away at our hearts to allow us to love like he does eventually. I think. Yeah. Nice one. Hey, she can stay, right? <laughs> um, th another question, the third one. How does love and judgment or justice, love or, uh, and judgment or justice coexist? I'm going to use a parent-child analogy. So I'm guessing the person who's asked the question is referring to the end times, but I'm going to bring it to more current times. So... We love our children unconditionally, yet we inadvertently judge them when they do wrong during the day and we try and encourage them to do right. Judgment, there is no judgment on us once you've accepted Christ as your Savior. We're free of that judgment because Jesus, as Gary puts it, Jesus was the fine. He was the penalty for what we've done wrong. So we don't have any more judgment on us. And I think once you realize that, that that life of judgment doesn't exist anymore because Christ paid for that judgment, paid for our sins, then we can walk forward in confidence knowing the love of Jesus. When it comes to a matter of doing right or wrong, when you love God like the love that we understand, so like when you love your mom and dad or when you love your sister or when you love your spouse, you don't want to do them any harm or any wrong. So inadvertently, you do what is correct at home anyway. And the same is true as Christians. As we, as we walk with God, as we learn to love God, we don't want to do wrong anyway. So we start moving away from a sinful life, even though our lives are still full of sin, because we don't want to hurt someone we love. That's not judgment. That, that's very different. Being judged and loved don't really coexist because when we know God's love and when we know what Christ did for us, God no longer, longer judges us. Am I making sense? Yeah. Cool. I'm getting it. Did I make sense out there? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good answer. Yeah, that's cool. So we have another question, okay. another one. So here, here, here it is. Um, how do we love those who have hurt us, our stuff, our families, or hopes and dreams? How do we love those that have hurt us, our stuff or our families? <laughs> Tag. Um, that's also a hard one, 
Um, but I think it's a very similar to the one that I answered in the beginning. God loves those people regardless. Um, and he, he loves us. And in that love, like Justin was saying, we pour it out onto those that need it. And, and yes, it's hard to love everybody. Um, but God shows us how to do that slowly. And it, it, it takes time and patience. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have... Good. I think uh, that is also, once again, lost in translation, uh, that love. Because to, to love everyone the same as we, as, as humans, interpret that love, it's impossible. I, I love many very differently to the way I love you, Bruce. And I, <laughs> and I love Bruce, who I know very differently from a person in KZN who's just had their house looted. But as a, a follower of Christ, I'm more than happy to start sending money down there or help out. And that's another form of love. Yeah, how do we love people who have harmed us? Well, well Christ forgave us. Um, it's also a different kind of love. You, you, you're not going to condone what they stole, took, or hurt. Mm. But it's a process. If you've been hurt so much that you hate them, then you just got to pray, 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 pray that you find it in your heart to eventually forgive them. And I'm not saying that flippantly because in this world that we live in, humans can do terrible things to humans. Yeah. Um, and if that's what you're referring to, whoever asked the question, I, you, you, you don't? All of a sudden after today say, ah, oh, I love him, I forgive him, because no, that's not going to happen, that's fake. It's a process that you go through. Um, and uh, as I said earlier on, the greatest uh, book, self-help book, is the Bible. So yeah, spend some amen. time in that mm -hmm. and, and look what Jesus did and, and, and learn. It's, it's not going to be a, a light bulb moment. It's going to take time.